0: Today, uh, we're going to dig into Jesus Is and continuing this teaching series. Last week, we looked at Jesus is grace. The week before, Jesus is your friend. Last week, we studied the parable of the prodigal son, and we saw a lost individual, one that was wasteful and reckless. But when he came to his senses, he saw love and grace from the Father. Forgiveness was given. What a beautiful picture of those who are lost and coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So this week, we move to our next focal point of who Jesus is. Now, as you're getting your notes ready and getting your Bible, Matthew 11, let me ask a couple of survey questions, all right? So we're going to get our exercise in, raising our hand on this one. So how many of you here would say that you love to sleep? You love to sleep. Well, just raise your hand. You love to sleep. Wow, look at that. Okay, so I'm not alone in this, all right? You love to sleep. Now, how many of you would say, I'm really, um, I don't really even know what sleep is anymore. I just don't even know. I can't sleep much at night. I wake up at 2, wondering where I'm at. Can't get back to sleep till 3.30, so aches and pains keep me awake. And I know that's a, a good majority of you. You think, uh, what is sleep anymore? How many of you could use some sleep right now? You'd like, I wish I was sleeping right now, okay? <laughs> Ushers, you got your squirt guns ready? Raise those hands back up. I want to know who you are. We're going to watch you through this whole service, all right? So now, we bring this back to the same question on you who raised your hand with me, who love to sleep. What do we do with this verse in Proverbs? Proverbs 20:13, "Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty." I'll take poverty, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> "Open thine eyes and thou shalt be satisfied with bread." I'll tell you what, if I smell some fresh cinnamon rolls, I'll open my eyes on that morning. Cream cheese frosting, melting over the cinnamon rolls, homemade. How many of you say, amen to that? That's right. Well, this morning, we're not studying to sleep or not to sleep, and we're certainly not studying cinnamon rolls from our text, although that would be a great conversation to have. But I do want to dig into Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse number 28, 29, and 30 together here. Verse number 28, the words of Jesus says, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning we're going to look at these three verses and see Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. Father, we do need your help this morning. We are fully relying on you to give us your guidance and wisdom through this text. We want to clearly communicate the proper context as well as how it is applicable to us today. And so I'm going to ask you to go ahead of us and to prepare our hearts. May we be attentive to your word. I ask, Lord, the distractions will be minimal, and I pray that you will work in such a way that, Lord, you will be glorified. Thank you again for your word, and I thank you that it is powerful. And I thank you that it helps us and guides us in our lives. Bring us to a place of understanding. May we submit ourselves in a spirit of obedience to learn from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this passage of scripture, when Jesus spoke these words, he's speaking to a group of people who have lived their lives under the Jewish religious system. And this system was defined by the law. And so everything that they did, people related to God by the law, people related to each other by the law, people raised their families and conducted their businesses all based on the law. Now, when we think of the law, we think of the government imposed restrictions by which we live by. But to Israel, the law was that which was so different. It was not that They couldn't drive their camel too fast in a school zone, or they'd get penalized for that. It was the way of living, and this law referred to the law of Moses. Now, about 1,500 years earlier before our text, God, through Moses, gave the Israelites the law in order for them to live a high moral standard of living. Now, the nations surrounding Israel were corrupt. They were wicked. They were involved in things like human sacrifices, incest, and ritual prostitution. And Israel was being affected in a negative way by what was going on surrounding them. And so God, through Moses, gave the law by which they would govern themselves and live by. Now, the law in Exodus chapter 20, the most famous part, are the ten what? Commandments. And this was just the very beginning. This was just the start of the details that were going to be given To the Israelites, for by which they could live not only just religiously, but practically and morally. These were laws for them to live by. Now, this body of laws, which was essentially at this point very traditional for the New Testament crowd, this was meant to help people to fulfill uh, what God had for them. And so they would add to the law, and they were adding hundreds of laws that were very intricate. The Pharisees, the scribes, were self-imposed leaders of this, and so they would interpret the law, they would add to the law, and they would impose it on everybody else, making sure that their lives were governed by the law. So when Jesus came onto the scene, he came onto the scene with stressed-out people. They were burned out because they were living in such a way that they were working so hard trying to please God. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that this law was that which was governing them, and when they broke away from the law, they committed sin. And to cover that, they would give their animal sacrifices so that as to cover that sin. And there was no one that was able to keep every part of the law every part of their life, and so this became a very natural part of the Israelite culture. Striving to obey the law, missing the mark and falling short, then giving the animals sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins, and then the cycle would continue to go around. So in the New Testament time, when Jesus is speaking with the crowds, the Pharisees and scribes, they were so strongly opposing to Jesus because they were looking for Jesus who came on the scene and who had claimed to be God they said that he should be one that was a legislator, a judge, a law enforcer, a policeman who was obsessed with, with, um, with keeping people in line. And so when they would find that he was totally opposite of that, they would accuse him of his apparent indifference to sin, although he was very strongly against sin. And then they would claim that if he was really to be God, that he should be slapping handcuffs on everyone. And so he didn't hand out parking tickets, he did not throw out death sentences, he just simply loved people and offered them full and free access to God. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And by Jesus Christ, man could come to God. And this riled up the crowd, this made the religious leaders very much opposing against him, and then in this story, at this point, it was very clear that the law was not the focal point, but rather Jesus is the point. And so he is going to look at those who are tired, heavy laden, burdened, and worn out. And he is going to give them an invitation. He is going to give them clearly that which is now the focal point, that which is the end game, that which is the goal. This passage of scripture cannot be interpreted as for all of us who are followers and believers in Christ to say, I'm just tired Life is burdensome, and I am worn out, and I need a hope of promise that God can give me. And boom, here are the three verses I will put on my refrigerator. I will look at them every day, and I will have great assurance that he is going to take my burdens. He's going to take my heavy ladenness, and he is going to give me rest. This is going to be a peaceful and restful day. That's not the promise of 28, 29, and 30. Remember the context by which Jesus is speaking. He is speaking to Pharisees and scribes. There's a crowd around him listening to his teaching and listening to his interaction. And so Jesus is going to extend the invitation, the ones who have been thrown under the bus, the ones who have been so burdened and oppressed by the law, the law, the law, that Jesus is going to say, I am the point. And so let's look at how he does that. Verse 28, Jesus gives the invitation to come to me. So Jesus is the point to come. In the verses before this passage, we see that Jesus is speaking of the rejection that has taken place by his own generation in verse 16 through 19. Jesus is going to go verse 20 through 24. He's going to point out the very cities who saw a number, most of the miracles that Jesus would perform, and yet they still rejected him. He'll point that out in his teaching. Now he's going to give this invitation to come to Jesus. In verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. It wasn't the wise, it wasn't the the astounding wisdom of the Pharisees and scribes who had memorized the the law. It was not the men who were going to add to the law. It was not the ones who thought they had all the knowledge. It were the ones, the babes, the ones who were willing to say, I'm just heavy laden, I'm burdened by the law, trying so hard to achieve and to do that I'm looking for the invitation to come and find rest. And so coming to salvation is done by faith with all humility. It's a realization of our need in a greater being our need in a rescuer, our need in someone, a source of love and hope. So this is difficult for our finite minds to grasp the reality of a divine grace and a human faith, and both are essential for salvation. And we have a difficult time wrapping our mind around this, yet by faith we claim it to be true as it is taught and given to us in the Scripture. For by grace, the divine grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for by grace are ye saved through faith, that human faith element that puts a faith, a belief, in trust in something greater than ourselves. And that divine grace and that human faith, it is by that which we are given the free gift of salvation. And it says, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so we understand that no one is forced into salvation, No one is coaxed or hoaxed into a transformation experience. Jesus said in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And then he immediately added, And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You see, the crowd kept thinking that coming to the law was the answer that this was going to give them some sense of security of eternal life. But Jesus said, the ones the Father gives to me, they will come, and those who come I will in no wise cast out. So our salvation is not through some creed, it is not through some baptism, it is not through some local church, our salvation is not through some priest, it's not through some law, and it's not through some human good deeds, but only through Jesus Christ alone. Now, many in here have experienced that. They understand that and they believe that and they have taken the invitation of Jesus which says, come to me. And so the stories are numerous around the crowd of that day when you heard Jesus said, come to me and you came quickly, obediently and submissively and you gave yourself to your Lord and Savior. There was a little girl named Emily and with her sweet voice, she said, Papa, do you love Jesus? She knew that her father didn't care much for God's stuff, religion, Jesus. He wanted really nothing to do with it. And you could certainly tell by his response because he said, Jesus is dead. He died a long, long time ago. He was crucified and that was the end of him. And then little Emily said, but, but Jesus rose again. And he did what no other man could do. And if Jesus was not living now, we could not be living either as he gives us life and everything else, Papa. Then dad responded, but how can I love whom I have never seen, Emily? Tell me that, my dear. Well, Emily at first did not know what to reply and her father looked pleased to know that he had puzzled her. So after a little while and thinking, she said, Papa, how old was I when mama died? He said, you were only six months, my child. Then I can't say that I ever saw her, for I don't remember her at all. But you have always tried to help me to love her by telling me how good and kind she was and to remind me of the sacrifices that she made for me and how she provided and took care of me. Although I've never seen her and I can't remember her, I love her. By this time, the tears were running down the father's cheeks and he kissed Emily on the forehead and said, God has spoken to me by you, my dear, and now you must pray for me and ask God to give me a new heart with which I shall love Jesus too. And that prayer was soon answered by little Emily and Papa getting saved. You see, Jesus stated, he said, I am the bread of life and he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst cometh, believeth in that text are parallel, just like hunger and thirst. So those who are going to come, those who will come and believe, it is putting their coming to Christ in a sense of believing in him. The Pharisees would say, do, 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 but Jesus would say, come to me. They tried to make people follow and obey the law of Moses and the traditions of men, but genuine salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And so this invitation to come, this invitation today to come to Jesus is for those who are exhausted, those who are burdened from trying, for working, who are busy trying to achieve and please, and yet they always fall short. Now, there may be some in here today that you are burdened and you are heavy laden, because you are looking for hope, you're looking for a promise, you're looking for eternal life, and you're looking within yourself. Today is that day where Jesus says, Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Today is that day of salvation. Today is that day of turning. Because it's not about what man can do, it's about what Jesus has done. Jesus is the point to come. And the reality is, as for many of us in here today, we've come to that place of accepting the invitation But how about somebody else in your life? Are you ready to extend that invitation that Jesus has given with the power of the gospel that transforms lives? The power of the gospel that is giving you growth in your spiritual life day by day is the power of the gospel which changes somebody from being lost and dying to now saved and resurrected, a life that has been transformed, reformed, and ready to make a difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so where are we with that? Remember that Jesus is the point to come. And then in verse number 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you. So Jesus is the point to take. When we come to Christ by faith, he gives us rest. And when we take his yoke and learn, we find rest. This finding of rest that comes through a deeper understanding of surrender and obedience think about that. Coming to Jesus, he gives us rest. But when we take his yoke upon us and we learn of him, well then we find rest. The first is peace with God, Romans 5.1. That peace with God comes as he gives us rest because we've taken the invitation and we've come. But the second is the peace of God, Philippians 4, 6 through 8 And that peace of God comes when we, with obedience and surrender, find that rest. So the call to salvation is a call to humility and submission. Too many times the salvation invitation is overpassed quickly by the reality of what it is, a call of submission to follow the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is to become a slave, a servant, to follow a new master, to learn under a new teacher, and to free myself from my own ways. And you say, well, but he's come to say, he, or he has said to come to him, and he will relieve us of the burden and heavy ladenness. He will give us rest. And our definition of rest is to be able to enjoy our life the way we want to live it, to live the way it's easy But Jesus says, I'm going to take a burden away from you, but in taking that burden away from you, I give you a new way. And that is when he said, if anybody is going to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. Now, many times when we look at that passage of scripture in Mark, we often will think about how uh, how this, uh, this, this new sense of following after Jesus or this burden of bearing the cross becomes a, a heavy-laden burden. Really? Denying myself? That's not natural. It's difficult. Taking up my cross, following after him, this is a heavy-laden burden. But would you think about this yoke that he says to take? In the ancient world, this would have been a term that symbolized submission. I, I, in Judaism, they would refer to the yoke as for the law. And so those who were listening to what Jesus was speaking, they knew exactly why he was choosing the words he was using. This yoke upon you, this yoke of him that he would give. The yoke is an interesting one through the teaching of the New Testament. Don't be confused about when the New Testament refers to the yoke of bondage in Acts 15.10, Galatians 5.1. No, this is not a yoke of legalism. This is not a yoke of bondage. This rather is a commitment to Jesus Christ. He has a tailor-made yoke just for you and me that meets our needs, our gifts, and the way that He wants to guide us. So maybe today you said, I've taken the invitation to come. I've come to Him. But have you submitted yourself? Have you taken upon His yoke? Have you by obedience followed His desires and willingness to gain an understanding of His truths? Not man's made-up truth, but the absolute truth that we learn from God's Word. You know, the interesting about the burden of the cross that we are to bear, the burden of doing His will is never a heavy burden. We may think it is, and we may like to define it as that way, but the reality is Christ will never coerce us or give us a burden that is way too heavy to carry. His yoke has nothing to do with the demands of works or law. The Christian's work of obedience to Christ is joyful and happy. And in 1 John chapter 5, he put it this way. John wrote, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. <sighs> well, there we're going back again the rules, the regulations by which we need to live by. But watch this. He says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the son of God. So it's not that we can throw a blame on and say, the burden is too heavy to carry. It's that we are looking at the commandments of God. Love God, love people, follow Him, obey Him, and and submit ourselves to Him. We look at them as being heavy and burdensome, grievous. But he says the love of God is for us to keep His commandments. They're not burdensome. For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, for faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So do we have the faith? Do we have the ability well certainly by submitting to God he gives us that he equips us for that. Romans 10:17 says so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when God's word is not an important part of our life, when God's word is not the crucial element by which we govern our lives by, when it is not the standard by which we live day by day, when we don't approach it as the absolute truth then no, we're not going to have the faith to overcome the world. We're not going to have the sense of victory in order to live pure and holy and to pursue that of being more like Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, I'm the point to take, he says it's not about the law, it's about obedience and submission. And that's why he uses this example of the yoke. Have you ever wondered why some Christians are so grumpy? Let that sink in for a moment. Why are some Christians so grumpy? Many times it's because they're so worried about their sin, or truthfully, they're so worried about the sin of other people, that it becomes so overwhelming and consuming of their heart and mind that they can't enjoy the life that God has given them. They look at, at life as a follower of Christ as being burdensome and heavy laden, They become a bad representation of grace and the gospel. And truthfully, others want nothing to do with Christianity because of how some Christians portray Jesus Christ in life. So there's no reason for us to live that way. Now conviction comes and a contrite heart is very heavy. When when conviction by the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, our countenance changes A contrite spirit, a contrite heart brings us to a a sense of seriousness. But it should not be something that we hold on to for hours on end or day after day. If we've gone three days and everybody around us has had their head bitten off by us two or three times because we're so heavy laden with guilt of where we are in life, then we're falling so short of not being willing to deal with the sin that the Holy Spirit is prompting us to deal with. And so when that pops into our mind, I don't have to live a guilt-ridden day. I will just lay that at the feet of Jesus with a contrite heart and a pure motive of forgiveness. I confess it, I take ownership of it, and I bear it and I say, I'm thankful for your forgiveness. And then I can go on and I can find that victory. That I can live with that joy that is overwhelming. So Christians, let's do, let's do a favor. Let's make sure that we're not living as a grumpy Christian day in and day out. Now, sometimes we said, ever seen grumpy Christians, and we say because they're so consumed with their sin or the sin of everybody else, and it becomes so overwhelming. And truthfully, some Christians are just grumpy because they're carnal. And that's just the way it is. They don't bear fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And then you have to kind of back up and wonder, by their fruit you shall know them. Why do you live a pattern of grumpiness? Why is it a decade ago they talked about you being grumpy and 10 years from now they'll still talk about you being grumpy? Is that really fruit of the evidence of the Holy Spirit living within you and working in your heart? The joy of the Lord is my strength. There should be nothing that consumes my life that causes me to be angry at others or so consumed with negativity that I can't handle day in and day out interaction with other people. So here we find Israel, the law for them was never meant to be about the law in the end game. It was about Jesus. It always pointed to Jesus. In John five thirty nine, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he said this point blank, he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And they, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. The scriptures by which they would have held in their hands would have been the law. It would have been that collection which they were memorizing and they were living by, and they were searching those scriptures to find eternal life, and Jesus was saying, you're looking and concluding the wrong thing because the the scripture, the law, points to me, God, in man form, Jesus. Then he continued in verse 40 and said, ye will not come to me that ye might have life, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Wow. Jesus told it as it was. He point-blank called out the Pharisees for looking in the law to find eternal life because of the law. But Jesus said, the law, the scriptures are pointing to me. And I have come in my Father's name, yet ye will not receive me. You think you have the love of God in your heart, but you have none of it. If somebody comes in some other name, you will follow after them. So Jesus is the point to take. And then last, in verse 29 and 30, Jesus is the point to learn. Now this morning, as we've looked at this text, we've made it very clear that he is directing this to the unsaved. These are those who are heavy laden by the law, those who are burdened by striving through their own works to accomplish this. And Jesus is saying, come and take my yoke, but then there's this learn. Now, my prayer all week in preparation has been, how do I take a 98%, 99% crowd who would stand and profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, who would even give scriptural support to why they believe if they took their last breath today, they would go to heaven. So when we're dealing with a crowd like that, how do we bring a text like this to be helpful, applicable, and something for them to chew on? I believe as we've looked through this text, we come to where Jesus says, come to me. We've all said, yes, I've come. Take my yoke. That's submission and obedience to his will. Some would even say, for the most part, I've been willing to take For the most part, I've been willing to obey, to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But now we come to this third part where he says, we're not done with just this simple invitation to come. There's this responsibility to follow me as your Lord and Savior. And so as you take that yoke upon you, now I want you to learn of me. And so where are we with that? You know, babes in Christ, it's really important that we disciple them. It's important that we teach them. It's important that we study the scriptures together because Jesus is the point to learn. You see, what better teacher is there than Jesus himself? The 12 disciples experienced that firsthand. They had the privilege to call Jesus their teacher. He poured time and wisdom into them with his words. And today, we too, as his disciples and followers, we who are called to follow him, we too can look and be taught through his word, the Bible. Now, Some lessons for us are really hard to learn at first, aren't they? Sometimes we have to experience them in order to really learn the truth and reality of that. How many of you would say you have a story of something you have learned the hard way? Would you raise your hand? You've got a story that goes right along with it. Let me tell you mine. It was 2001, maybe 2000. I had just graduated from college. I was in Greenville, South Carolina. I was on my own, had two roommates. We, uh, oh, we rented a townhouse together. I was working at the Hilton. I was a bell captain and, and uh, really enjoyed that job in between college and ministry. When I was going to a church, Morningside Baptist Church there in Greenville, Tony Miller was the pastor. I had this 1986 Dodge 600. It was my first car. Now, this car did not have heat, and it did not have air conditioning, but who needed that? Because I had a convertible top. I mean, this was the life. I remember times in the winter in Greenville, South Carolina, there was no heat, but we put down the top, and we were like, let's fly down the road. This is awesome. Then in the summertime, you're like, put that down, put your sunglasses on, and fan yourself, hoping that the sun doesn't bake you. Well, I was on my way to church one Sunday evening, all by myself, and I pulled in with my top down. And I thought, man, you know what, I'm going to just be here for an hour or so, no obligations after church, I'll just leave the top down, I'll jump into church, jump back out, we'll be good to go. Everything was fine through the whole service. I'm sitting there, it was a beautiful day when I went in. As I sat there through the whole service, we got to the preaching, but here's the mistake I made. It was a pretty full crowd. I sat right in the middle of a very long aisle. As I sat there with my Bible open, listening to the message, all of a sudden I heard a little thunder. When I heard the thunder, I thought, well, that'll probably quickly pass. I, you know, I'm not sure. That I didn't see the forecast or anything. As we continued through the message, I'm trying to be engaged in the text. I can't tell you what he preached on. But I know that something serious happened at that moment. The skies opened up. Now, I am in the middle of the row. This was the kind of rain that even the preacher mentions. You know that's a bad one, right? When the preacher mentions how bad the rain is coming down and you can hear it, you know you're in trouble. So I had a decision to make. Do I jump out of my seat and embarrass myself by crawling over a lot of people? By the time I get out there, everything is going to be wet anyway. I said, no, it'll pass quickly. It'll be a little wet seat, little wet carpet, no big deal. By the end of the sermon, I think he preached three hours that night. Come on, let's get it going. By the time the service was over, I didn't talk to anybody. I made a beeline. I did not want one single person from that church to walk out and see some crazy Dodge 600 with his roof wide open and a downpour in it. I got to the car thinking it may not be a big deal, but I saw puddles this deep in my floorboards. Then as I sat down on the seat, water just shot everywhere all around me. There I am in my suit driving home in a wet Dodge 600. I thought I'll leave the roof down to dry it all out. But you know what? It took days to dry out. It took months to get that stink out of that beautiful Dodge 600. But you know what? That was a lesson learned. I would never do that again. Well... I would 13 years later, when we were in California, Natalie and I went to a uh, spiritual leadership conference there in Lancaster. We borrowed her uncle's convertible. (laughs) This was not a Dodge 600. It was not in 1986. This was a brand new, beautiful uh, Sebring. And it was red, slick, sporty. We drove it. Not terrible with the rain. The Lancaster, no rain. They're in the desert. But I pulled up to the leadership conference. I was just going to jump into a little session that they were doing for pastors. And I thought, I'll just go to this and enjoy it. And so I parked the car, jump out, get into the session. When I come back out, I didn't realize desert, wind, sand, all inside a convertible car. And so as I sat in the car with sand poofy all around me, rubbing my fingers against the dashboard, there was sand everywhere. I had to take it, clean it, get it run. But you know who happened to be out there at that same time? Scott Smith happened to be out there at the same time. He was a college uh, representative for Pensacola. And I grabbed him. I said, hey, let's go get something to eat. I'll give you coffee. And then let's go to the car wash, and you can help me clean out the inside of this thing. <laughs> what a friend. And he cleaned it out for me. That was so nice. And you know, I tell you what, lessons are hard to learn or are so tough to learn sometimes the hard way. But the point of Jesus calling for us to learn to, of Him is a process. It is a process. And that has to be something that we grab a hold of. And as we learn more about Him, we develop a deeper peace because we trust in Him more. So evaluate where you are. Are you trusting in Him? Are you learning of Him? Hey, things get rough. The invitation is come, we've come. But the invitation is to take. Many of us have taken the yoke, but are we learning? Are we submitting ourselves to the the leading of a sovereign God in our life? It doesn't take you long to find out that people in here are hurting. We sit together on a Wednesday night and take prayer requests, and you will quickly find out that people have some some hard issues going on in their life. That's just the reality. So what are we going to do about that? What will we do when we face the brick wall right in front of us? Will we beat our head against it until we bloody our skull? Or will we submit to God's leading and say, God, I'm sitting here until you lead for the next step. I don't know how it will look and what you're going to do, but I'll wait for the ladder, or I'll wait for the demo ball, or I'll wait for the directional sign that says, go another way. But I'm submitting myself to you, waiting for that leading. So Christians, find yourself learning more and more. Now, there's this tourist that tells the story that he had visited a church in Norway. And when he visited this church, he said that he was surprised to see carved figurings or carved figures of a lamb near the top of the church's tower. He learned that uh, when the church was being built, unfortunately there was a workman that was that high, and he fell from a high scaffold down to the ground. His co-workers rushed down expecting to find him dead, but to their surprise and to their joy, he was alive and only slightly injured. How in the world did he survive? It was improbable, impossible. But there was a flock of sheep that was passing beneath the tower at the exact time, and he landed on top of a lamb. Now the lamb broke his fall but was crushed to death. But the man was saved. And so to remember that miraculous escape, someone carved a lamb on the tower of the exact height from where the workman fell. So when you think about that, John the Baptist, he described Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter said the full weight of our sins fell upon Jesus. And the Apostle Paul explained he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become righteousness of God in him. So we have all fallen in sin, but on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sin upon himself. The broken, crushed lamb of God. And he now offers eternal life to all of those who personally put their faith and trust in, In Jesus Christ alone. May all of us today remember the law was important, it was a focal point, and it was all directing toward Jesus. But when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus reminded us Jesus is the point. And so may we today listen to that invitation come to me, take my yoke, and learn of me. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ the amazing invitation that is given to all who will believe. I know that I'm among many followers of Christ, many believers, but today we have to be reminded of the importance of our obedience and submission, of taking on your yoke, the partnership of the yoke mate that is you beside us. And so may we never forget about that. Lord, also may we be learners. May we be willing to learn from the words of God. May we be willing to apply them to be different and to grow because of it. So, Father, today I don't know how you'll use your message to work in our hearts, but I'm asking you very specifically that you will. We'll be sure to give you praise, glory, and honor because of it in Jesus' name. Amen.